You're listening to the Live, Love, Engage podcast. On today's show, we'll learn what leadership lessons can be gained from studying samurai warriors. Stay tuned. I am Gloria Grace Rand, founder of The Love Method and author of the number one Amazon bestseller, Live, Love, Engage, how to stop doubting yourself and start being yourself. In this podcast, we share practical advice from a spiritual perspective on how to live fully, love deeply, and engage authentically so you can create a life and business with more impact, influence, and income. Welcome to Live, Love, Engage. Namaste and welcome to Live, Love, Engage. I am going to bring you our interview in just a moment, but I first just wanted to clue you in on something. I wanted to let you know that I apologize for my sound quality in the interview that uh, you'll be hearing in just a moment. I recorded this live on Facebook and I recorded it from my husband's office because he has a better internet connection. But unfortunately, I did not put my microphone up high enough. And so I, I tried my best in editing, but you'll you'll definitely hear a difference in the sound quality between me and my guests. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. Apologize. And now on to the interview. Namaste and welcome to another edition of Live, Love, Engage, coming to you live on Facebook today and YouTube. Thought I'd try it out, so we'll see how that goes. And I am delighted to have a guest with us for this edition of Live, Love, Engage, and his name is Don Schminka, and I'm going to tell you all about him in a minute, but first I just want to officially welcome you to Live, Love, Engage, Don. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, delighted to have you. This is a, a gentleman who has a wonderful background with expertise in leadership, which is one of the reasons why I wanted him on the show today. So he's an award-winning speaker, a researcher, author of the best-selling book, The Code of the Executive. He's also the founder of the Saga Leadership Institute and has trained over 15,000 CEOs in his career. Uh, his scientific methods make him the thought leader in applying genetics, evolution, and anthropology to strategic growth. And he has a, his latest course is called How to Slay Dragons, which talks about the uh, terrifying problems that are stopping us from truly achieving success and happiness. And one other thing I didn't mention is that not only does he have all of those credentials, um, he was an MIT planetary physicist. And uh, so I love that. I think that's totally fascinating because I'm a space geek, I guess. Um, so how did you end up going from that type of a background to training CEOs? <laughs> so, it was a circuitous route. I, you know, I started off, um, being fascinated by planetary formations and all that. So I, I started with the closest planet to us, which is of course the one we're standing on. <laughs> I was already here. I thought, what the heck, you know, let's start studying this one. And then I, uh, I noticed humans and uh, they became more fascinating too. They were so uh, nonlinear and, and irrational. And I thought, uh, wow, let's study these, let's study these humans. And they became my favorite species. And <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was—I I left MIT and I went to Hopkins. I was teaching there 
and um, I ran into a bunch of uh, CEOs and executives in the uh, the MBA program, and I uh, started hearing about these problems they were having, and I was getting more fascinated with with how humans group together. And so I started looking at that. And, and then uh, I found out these amazing high level failure rates in popular management theory. And I and there's millions of articles now published on this if you go to any Google Scholar level search. So I was uh, I started they asked me if, if this could be a biological pattern. In other words, if um, what we're seeing in these failure rates is something that we're missing as a species in terms of um, in terms of how, how does it work? Because obviously it has worked. We're still here. We're so, still surviving. So that's what happened. I uh, took on and uh, got a lot of support. I mean, you know, had a lot of access to uh, anthropological and, and medical research at Hopkins, but also uh, Oxford University uh, gave me permission to use an ancient manuscript that was used to train uh, managers a long time ago, about 700 years ago. So I used that manuscript and published um, the code of the executive that was back in the 90s. And it just took off. And next thing I know, I was speaking and sharing uh, this research. And then later on, I was able to take some of the samurai techniques that were very powerful and validate them with modern medical science and our, our evolution. So it just built from there. And, and now what I do is I, I help CEOs and, and uh business owners grow their companies faster and more effectively and have more uh, powerful cultures and, and purpose. But what I'm using isn't like some fashion trend theory. I'm using uh, elements of our, our biology. Hmm. So, so tell me a little bit more about the, the samurai. So how did that factor in? What is it about a samurai that is helpful for leaders? I, uh, it was, it was an accidental uh, thing. I was I was doing an expedition in a lost civilization in the Himalayas at the time, and um, after about a month, we you know we're, we're we haven't seen you know electricity or water for a long time, and I was playing this Tibet fortune telling game. Somebody had bought this thing in from Tibet because I was in the, I was below China and above India. We were next to Tibet, so I uh, it, it, part of the game was to use a problem that you had in your life and. I had been running into a problem with my agent and getting this uh, book published on, on tribal phenomena. Now, this was years before any tribe books came out, which are now bestsellers. And I was we're having a problem. But the, the, the thing that the uh, game told me, the, the result of this fortune telling game was uh, I had to give it up. Or I couldn't move on and um, came back to the States, um, called my agent and said, you know, this is going to work out. And then within a matter of weeks, I stumbled onto this ancient manuscript. And what I noticed is uh, it, it was just powerful because here was an organization that survived, you know, until the technology of, of the gun uh, repelled the major forces of the world that tried to attack this country. And uh, their areas of discipline, discipline and philosophy were so effective. I mean, we still use them in their movies today. I mean, you see television shows and movies and you still see these samurai characters. You know, if you watch Star Trek or Star Wars or uh, you know, any of these robot shows, there's usually <laughs> a samurai character there. So I think um, what was fascinating to me is they taught more about how to achieve bravery and honor 
And those are the things missing in most business training today. You don't see a lot of courses in companies. You don't see a lot of entrepreneurial training programs. You don't see a lot of, you know, even, even areas of coaching where bravery and honor become a center point. But when we looked at high performance organizations and we were able to test this because, you know, we were, we wanted to get companies to grow two or three times their size, or in some cases, 10 times their size. And that's what we've done, but we were using these techniques so we could see that they had impact. You know, they could grow sales of a company dramatically faster than anything they had been doing. But I think a lot of it had to do with this, this essential base of bravery and honor. Wow. So can you give an example of, let's say, especially for uh, an entrepreneur, how they, how does, how can they be brave? I guess, how, how would that show up in their business? What, what would be an example of that? Well, most, most entrepreneurs, um, if they're, if they have the profile of an entrepreneur is generally the ability to take risk. And, um, and it's kind of a rare ability. In fact, we're doing some research now on, um, on the evolution of why do some people have a certain capacity for uh, risk and others don't. So if you don't have that capacity, it's, it's really, really tough. But entrepreneurs, I think, have to be brave every day. I mean, <laughs> you're risking your life in a new concept. Um, you might have your house mortgaged out to help fund something or, you know, you may be uh, taking other people's money and to be accountable for. And you're, you're launching ideas into action and there's no guarantee they're going to work, you know? And so it's, it's not a journey for the, for the week. <laughs> and most entrepreneurs fail a lot. I mean, I, I, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I can't tell you, I've, I've stopped counting the number of failures. <laughs> that I've had. And, um, I think it's, you know, we were working with black Hawk down and, um, Matt Eversman was the main character. And I don't know if you, I don't know if you saw the movie or read the book, but it was probably one of the most classic epic tales of, of, a, of a planning failure in modern history. Yeah. And one of the things that came out of that is, is when Matt said, uh, you know, the enemy always has a vote on your plan. And that is so true. It's like plans don't always work. And so you have to approach life as I have a plan, but I have to accept it's going to fail. And I remember that esteemed uh, leadership genius, uh, Mike Tyson, <laughs> who said it best. I think he said something like, you always have a plan until you get punched in the mouth or hit in the mouth. And then all of a sudden you realize your plan is gone. And I think that's it. Entrepreneurs have to be brave enough to be willing to be punched in the mouth a lot hmm. and to reset. And what did you learn? And um, was it Mandela? Or, I'm trying to think who. No. Oh God, I'm, I'm, I love these quotes, but I forgot who said this, but it might've been one of the basketball stars. It's, you know, I never, I never lose. I always learn. Hmm. And I think that's what keeps entrepreneurs being brave enough to keep going into battle. And Hey, if you're going to lose, you're going to learn a lot from it and then pick yourself up and move on. But it's a rare breed, you know? And mm -hmm. I think as people evolve in leadership in their companies, um, even if you're not an entrepreneur, each each level requires a certain demand on your decisiveness and your actions, uh, which have higher levels of risk, you know, mm. because you're doing something that's farther out into the future, the result, you know, being 
I mean, it's it's one thing to say, well, I'm going to come in, I'm going to I'm going to nail this thing together, and there it is, I'm done. It's another thing to say, well, we're taking on this new project or this new market. We'll know in three years if it works. <laughs> <laughs> That's harder to guarantee. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, uh, now you mentioned that you've made some mistakes. Just yeah, you know, I'm sure one or two in in your career. What has um, what were maybe one of the like biggest lessons you've learned in in your entrepreneurial career? I think. Um, oh, geez, which one do I which one do I pick? <laughs> I think a, uh, some of it was hiring teams to do things that I trusted that they could do but they couldn't. And I've actually made that mistake many, many times. Um, and I'm a slow learner. So I, I've gotten more to the point of where I'm only using people that have demonstrated or actively performing in the areas where they need to perform. So I think people, and for, not, for entrepreneurs, I think this is really critical because um, you can't do it all yourself. You have to bring people on. And Originally, as an entrepreneur, I used to trust people if they said they could do it or they were great. I believe they were great. And then, you know, if you're six months or a year, you got to fire them because they couldn't do anything. Uh, I've learned that, um, you know, maybe they did believe they were great, but their performance, you know, I should have looked at, are you doing it now and how well? Because if you're not doing it now, don't tell me a story and have a note from your mother that you're a good <laughs> boy or girl. And because right. I, I don't need that. And entrepreneurs, it's risky already. So you have to like limit the risks that you take. And I think my mistakes were I had been through several teams that I had a fire hmm. and each time you know, they had collapsed my company. So that, that was, <laughs> those were the notable problems. Yeah. Well, painful, painful mistakes. But um, if you can learn from it, I, I know I've, I've, very first time that I hired a virtual assistant, um, it did not work out well, but it really was on me. It really was not her fault. I yeah. did not set expectations at the beginning of what I, how often I wanted to hear from her. Um, I didn't really set up good systems for her to follow. And so the next time around when I hired someone, things worked out a lot better because I was better yeah. prepared. Um, yeah, good. Um, you, you also mentioned I, I, one of the, the traits of the samurai was honor. So how, how does a leader, um, I mean, I have an idea, but what would be uh, some ways that a leader can uh, demonstrate that in an organization? I think um, by decisions that represent the, the culture that you want to present to the world, um, because people kind of see through through some things. In fact, uh, like for instance, when, when, you know, years ago when Tylenol had that, uh, that breakout of tainted product because somebody was sabotaging, I mean, they totally pulled products off, lost a lot of money, but they were out to protect the consumer. And that, that made a big statement. There were times, I mean, there's stories that littered through, through um, business literature that I think people should, you know, resurrect or, or hold dear because it's times when CEOs, just um, just took something that was going to cost money, put the company at risk, but it was the right thing to do. Um, I think it was Alcoa CEO that went for worker safety, even though that was like crazy at the time that he would put profit and risk the company. But it was that that turned it around. I I had a, I had a, a dear CEO friend of mine, Bill Herdrick, who actually was running a plastics manufacturing business. And uh, they, there were several employees had uh, just suspiciously died 
from this um, this respiratory illness, and he just shut the company down immediately so they could figure it out. And uh, having to do with something in the air conditioning so vendor, uh, the system the vendor had put in. Um, recently, um, Southwest Airlines, uh, we were, you know, through this this whole COVID thing, um, you know, everybody's short-staffed, this is going on, that going on, and they literally cut flights, and, and the announcement was, it was like, wow, you know, we, the CEO said, you know, we forgot about you, the employee, and, you know, you've been pushing yourself heavily, and he basically acknowledged that, and he said, we're cutting out this many flights because you deserve to have a, a reasonable workload and schedule. And I thought that was really impressive, you see. Mm -hmm. So if you look around, you'll see um, leaders making decisions that are honorable, even though it may not be the easy choice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I love Southwest Airlines. They're my favorite airline. I think they do uh, at least appear <laughs> from the outside that they attempt to put their employees, um, if not, well, I'd say, yeah, even first above shareholders. And I know because that can be, there's been a lot of controversy, I think, over the last few years about, um, you know, companies, who, who do we, who, who, who are we serving? You know, are we, are we supposed to be serving just the shareholders or are we supposed to be serving the larger, greater good, um, as well as our employees, uh, so it's uh, it's well, there's a, a lot of that's changing now. And I think it's interesting. Um, a lot of investment groups and a lot of uh, there's a lot of movement on evaluating companies at their level of uh, contribution to, to the planet. You know, it's mm -hmm. sort of like people and the planet as well as profits. And um, I'm not a finance advisor, but I've heard people tell me that a lot of those companies do better, uh, you know, than the rest. I mean, they have higher levels of loyalty. They have um, not only with customers, but employees and investors. So I think with the communication capacity we have now to, to learn about things that what companies do, right. or if they're trying to cut corners and they, and, you know, they, they get exposed, uh, uh, companies are, I think stockholders are expecting that the asset be protected that way more than maybe ever. Hmm. Awesome. Um, let's go back a little bit to, you know, talking about your work in particular that you do. What is, what is your favorite thing about, you know, working with CEOs and, and, and training them? What, what really, you know, brings you the most joy during the day? Uh, teaching, really. I mean, I, I'm just a, a researcher and a, and a teacher, and I, um, I, I love doing it. It's just, it's my thing. I'm just a chronic <laughs> learner and teacher. And then, and the form of teaching is not the CEO area became very challenging because you know you have a group of people that have uh, seen everything, they've heard all the speakers, they've read all the books, and they've been through the reality of life in terms of growing their businesses. So when you're working with them or presenting something, it better be right. It better be good. It better be validated and it better be fresh, not just a regurgitation of, of uh, something in leadership that somebody wrote 10 years ago. So uh, that became a nice challenge for me as, as, a, um, as a professor and as a teacher because I, uh, it challenged me to really get good and, and the research and make sure that when I was going to be saying something, it had value and it could be tested and I would have case studies and I could apply it in the field. 
and now I'm um, because of COVID, it really forced me to look at a different form of teaching. So now I'm getting really excited about instead of working with, um, you know, just hundreds in a group, you know, going out to thousands. So I've taken a lot of the research and put it down for like the masses to access. Mm. So when I started becoming samurai, I made that an online film, you know, uh, online course. Mm. And uh, the How to Slay Dragons piece that we're just getting ready to launch now uh, is really looking at what are those problems we have in life that are just horrendous and lingering and we've tried every we tried all the normal problem solving solutions and they're still there and it could be career based or something with the kids or the the marriage or being an entrepreneur and struggling through that that development or maybe just trying to be a good salesperson and uh and these problems stop us from growing. And I, I call these dragon problems. <laughs> so I'm talking a lot more about dragon problems. These, these fierce fire breathing things that could just burn us alive and we don't, and we can't, it, we, they won't go away. So we started and I took some of the samurai research and I started this how to slay dragons course on looking at, you know, what's stopping us. And usually it's some fear that's driven by a dragon hmm. and the dragons attached to something. And what it is we, we keep forgetting that we have to detach. In, in other words, slay the dragon that's stopping us. And so we categorize a number of fear dragons and we have a whole course on it. So I love it because it's allowing me to teach across much more wider boundaries <laughs> than showing up in a, in a CEO group and just dealing with that, which I still do. But COVID forced me to, uh, I mean, I took this cigar room and it's now a studio. I guess you can kind of see I got lights and <laughs> green screens over here and all that. So it forced me to learn how to be a film producer, you know, yeah. and how to edit and special effects and how to script. And so I, I think it's just think COVID provided me, you know, in one case, it was one of those failures you asked about earlier. What failed was like, I can't get on a plane. That's what failed. But forced me into... Um, a studio mode and now i am spending a lot of time filming and releasing uh, these these products so it's um that's what i enjoy okay well um can you give us a, an example of maybe give us a little tease of the the course um how to slay dragon so what what would you what's sort of your maybe the first step that someone would take in, I guess it's maybe beyond even identifying a problem, but then actually learning how to slay it. Well, the first part is really, and uh, and it's, it's great because I'm. You mentioned this because we're starting to, like, we just put a post up on Facebook, and I've got a great social media person. I'm totally incompetent when it comes to, you know, <laughs> who needs this? How do we how do we get get it to them? So we're starting to publish some white papers on things like right now career. It was a great example. I mean, uh, the New York Times published that the, the mass exodus, you know, what do they call it? The resignation explosion that has occurred the, uh, is affecting the world. And more people have resigned or quit than I think ever in history. And so I started looking at this data and I thought, wow, there's a lot of people reassessing their lives. And so this article came out, but then there was a lot of stuff from the Gallup poll and the World Health Organization, people burning out. So I wrote a, a paper on it uh, that just came out yesterday, actually, um, to to look at, you know, do we, is your career is your career dying or is it breaking or 
you know, is stress of all this we're going through making you or breaking you? And I think that's a question that, you know, we haven't really had to ask. And now's the time, you know, because stress can be good. I talk about all those entrepreneur examples, the failures you learn from that stress is good and it keeps you going. But there's times where it's just like, whoa, it's, it's like burnout. It's like battle weary. It's like, what do I do? So um, looking at dragon problems in that in that uh, context was was perfect because it's like, well, what are those chronic problems in your job? You know, not the ones, not the normal stuff that we all deal with day in and day out, but the things that have been lingering. Like, you know, do you feel like your career stopped or do you feel like everything you've tried is just, you know, you're not getting the recognition or you're not you're not able to demonstrate the leadership capabilities that you do have or you're just being miserable and you don't know why. So we actually put this quiz out um, on um, on testing, you know, is, is stress making or breaking you? And it's like five questions or no, wait a minute, I, I upgraded it. So it's like it's like 10 questions and it comes out with, hey, you know, you're doing great. Keep using it. And on the other side, hey, stop. Something's mm -hmm. broken. It's too long. And I think so. So the point is, first, we got to identify what that problem is. We don't want to be distracted but there's usually something stopping us. If we're not happy and fulfilled in our career or our work, that's a large part of our life that's being wasted. But once we have that, then it's easier to move into, well, what are we afraid of? You know, like what would we do if we didn't have that fear? You know, what, what decisions would we make? What actions would we take? And so that helps us get deeper into, you know, metaphorically, okay, what's that dragon? Because you got to slay that dragon. Because until you do that, you're going to stay stopped. Mm, yeah. And it's interesting. The dragon um, thing came out um, unexpectedly. I was one of my coaches is is Mark Levy, and he helped uh, Coach Simon Sinek on the start with why thing, and a lot of other mm. people successfully. And I I've been using him. It was in my samurai research where it was like that's about dragons. I was like what? And so that's where it came up. But metaphorically, it's perfect because throughout history, for like the ages. It's the one symbol that we've carried with us as humans. So I thought, wow, that's you know, let's do that. So uh, he's been helping me, you know, craft this this whole program. But yeah, I think we need to slay. We need to identify what are our real dragon problems in life, because sometimes they may be invisible to us. Maybe we're just, they're lingering, but we kind of feel it, or we smell it, or we taste it, like something's stopping me. And then once we get it, you know, how do we, you know, what's that dragon and how do we slay it? And that's the whole point of the program. And it's using techniques that have been used for hundreds of years. And we use today in corporations because we've actually implemented this with executive teams and, and cultures. But um, once we can detach from whatever it is that's causing that, uh, we have freedom. And, you know, it can be scary slaying a dragon, but the freedom on the other side, once we don't have that attachment. I mean, I've had people come up to me, like I've done these in live seminars and uh, mm -hmm. say, why you, like a year ago, I heard you and it changed my life. Mm -hmm. Either it was an issue with a relationship they were in or a job they were in. And I was like, wow, really? So when I got quarantined in the studio, I thought, well, that's what we're gonna start doing, right? Absolutely, <laughs> get yeah. Get that technique out. Very good. Well, and, and that, sort of led, leads into my next question is I, I was curious to know 
what impact do you like to have on planet Earth during your lifetime? I would like to have some small dent in civilization before I go. You know what I mean? I would, I would like to enhance or evolve civilization as much as I can, either with these concepts that I'm researching or discovering or carrying on from people centuries before me hmm. and reawakening them so that we can uh, improve our civilization a bit more than we have. And because if we, if we can't, it's um, the stakes are very high. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I should ask you this before, but just when you were just mentioning that, so what do you do? And, and this may be, um, you know, it might be the same. You like them both, but if you had your if you had your preference, would you rather be, you know, just a researcher, or do you like being able to at least use the research and then to be able to apply it as well? Uh, I like. Um, I think I like teaching as as the main focus, but to mm -hmm. teach you have to know what you're teaching, <laughs> you know. And for me, I love discovery. I mean, that's what has me going into remote regions in, in Africa or Asia or any of these extreme environments, and sometimes dangerous environments, because I want to study how things um, evolve or collapse. Mm -hmm. You know, when I snuck into the Soviet bloc during its its collapse, it was it was dangerous, but God, I learned so much and, hmm. you know, and just falling in love with the people and, and seeing common struggle, but also seeing, you know, the, the progress we can make together. Um, I'll, I'll always do that. And uh, I kind of miss it because during COVID, of course, everything shut down. So for yeah. a couple of years, I've been stuck in the studio, <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm ready to get out there again. And, um, and I don't know what I'm going to learn. I just, you know, I get on a plane and I pack my gear and I just go somewhere and always I stumble into something, hmm. you know, just listening to people and, you know, hearing about a tribe somewhere in the mountains and like, great, who can get me there? And just, you know, going there and uh, coming out educated, you know, and then I can come back and not everything is useful. I mean, some of it's humorous. Some of it is uh, just for my own edification, but some of it can be applied to teach and that's really what's important. If 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 I, if humans can, if I can somehow contribute to someone having a, uh, a better career or make a difference mm -hmm. in the world or improve their relationships, um, wow! You know, I think for a teacher, that's what we look for. Absolutely, yeah. Well, if someone listening to this today or watching um, would like to know more, maybe about your course, maybe they would love to. Um, I know it hasn't officially launched yet, but but maybe they want to be able to get on the waiting list or something. Sure. What is the what is the best way for people to be able to contact you? Well, on uh, I mean Facebook, we have the How to Slay Dragons group, so you can join that, and I'm there, and we're starting to ramp that up. Uh, the website is Saga Leadership S A G A, which we stole from the Vikings. Another area of research, <laughs> SagaLeadership.com, and um, that's where I have a lot of corporate stuff. But I'm going to be evolving that site to bring a lot of this other other stuff into it and um you know i'm out there on on the web if you search my name i'm doing who knows i'm, I'm afraid to look what's out there but maybe i shouldn't <laughs> tell you to do that but uh yeah so that's the main website and uh, if you have any specific need you can reach out to me directly um don at saga leadership.com really 
All right. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be with us. I really appreciate Thanks it. And uh, yeah, I wish you all the best and uh, continued uh, good work in the world at bringing about uh, change and slaying those dragons. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> Thank all of you as well for watching. And if you're listening on the replay on your favorite podcast platform, I appreciate that. And if you have been enjoying this, hope you'll leave us a review or comment below on Facebook or on YouTube. And I uh, uh, will definitely read those comments. So I appreciate it. And until next time, as always, I encourage you to go out and live fully, love deeply and engage authentically. Did you know that a majority of entrepreneurs tend to discount the importance of their work? And a good number feel their success is simply due to luck. I know from personal experience that self-doubt can keep you from having the kind of life and business you desire. That's why I've created a free guide called Uniquely You, how to move from self-doubt to self-love in four simple steps. To claim your free guide, go to liveloveengage.gift. That's liveloveengage.gift.